Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome all, this is The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. Thanks once again for joining us. I'm Will Kelleher, Deputy Rugby Correspondent of The Times, and today I'm joined by my big boss, Alex Lowe, the correspondent. Hello, Hello Will. How's Hello. it going? I'm giving him the hot seat today. And we are privileged to be joined by king freelancer, Adam Hathaway. The return of the dog man. <laughs> yeah, the How are the, the dog dogs? Um, not great at the moment. Yeah, we haven't got any at the moment, but we're, we'll be... Um, Investing in another one soon. Right, okay. So, as avid readers of rugby, you would have seen Adam's name all over the place. And, Adam, you were at three games in the weekend, that's right? Yep, saw Gloucester chuck it away on Friday night, saw Quinn's nick it on Saturday, and saw Sarri's dominate yesterday. What did you make of it? Where was your best of the weekend? Uh, probably yesterday, the way Saracens turned it on in the second half. Um, we're going to talk about him all programme, I think. Prime Farrell was brilliant. Yeah. You were there as well, Alex? What did you make of all that? Yeah, Mark McCall is never one to get carried away with his comments. And so when he describes Owen Farrell's performance as phenomenal, you, you know how good it was. Um, and I, I, in my piece this morning, just made the point that, that McCall is saying that if you ask Farrell, Farrell will say he still isn't on top of his game. Yeah, he's only played four club matches since October. Mm. Um, and yet he's he's dominated Cardiff last week and was just at the heart of everything the Saracens did so well second half yesterday as they came back from 15-10 down at half time and you just saw a guy who looks physically he looks stacked after all that time off mm. um, and emotionally just just I mean he is the heartbeat of that team and and you saw it you saw it he was, he was brilliant yeah. if Mark McCall's not going to get carried away about Owen can I please yeah go on, um, <laughs> Come on. he uh some of the things he did yesterday and the week before against Cardiff, if Bowden Barrett or Marcus Smith had done that, we'd have an open-top bus parade. The guy was fantastic. <laughs> Just because you're tough doesn't mean you can't be skillful. He's both. So the one marquee moment I saw from that game was a, a nice little dummy and then a 50-yard break. I don't think I've mm. seen Farrell do that for years. No, it, fe- it felt like, I think we were talking afterwards, just chatting in the, in the press room about, you know, when was the last time we saw him play this well Mm. and it does feel like he's got a lot of frustration built up in him from so long he's so used to playing every game he is tough as as Adam says but it feels like maybe in that time away that he's just used it 
he's using it as fuel and and he's he's not you know he's a very uh structured player he's very tough but that doesn't as Adam said doesn't mean he isn't skillful it doesn't mean he doesn't see opportunities um and he plays in in a team that that manage the game so well mm. that it isn't always he's not he's not required to do that they don't play like that you know, we're used to seeing Marcus Smith do that we're used to seeing Bowden Barrett do that Adam we're not used to seeing Owen do it not because he can't do it but because of the way he tends to play and the way Saracens are set up to play and for so long recently the way England have been set up to play mm. um it doesn't require him to to do that or even look for that. And there was it was a mistake from Jack Yandel. He sort of overran the chasing defence. The door opened. Farrell was through it. And and actually, it wasn't just that break, which which was great, but the the pass he chose on the run um, out to Alex Lewington, which who who was subsequently tackled. But there was there were easier options. But the the way he threaded that pass on the run. That allowed Alex Lewington to catch it without breaking stride. It's those moments that that Mark McCall was referring mm. to. The the accuracy. Is that really angrily fizzed across, isn't it? Yeah, the yeah. accuracy of his execution was was brilliant, and we've seen that in those four games since he's come back. His his skill level um, is, at, I think it has it has dipped at times as he's. I think you know he carries the burden of captaincy with England and mm. and and the and the pressure and maybe overplaying. Um, long seasons, Lions. He was playing in a championship. Didn't test him in the same way. Just to feel that one of the things I've noticed since he's come back is is the the accuracy of his execution has been has been top class. Yeah, and I suppose we forget. I mean, he's only just over thirty. Hundred caps now for mm. England, plus all the Lions ones as well. He's got plenty left. I mean, he could be one of these Johnny Sexton characters, couldn't he? Who just keeps going and going and going. It doesn't look like he's fading, does it? Yeah, because he's not a fly half who re- who relies on gas. Like he, mm. you know, he's not he's not the quickest ten out there. But that's not that's not his game. He's fast enough to make a break, but it's it's the speed of thought and the accuracy of, of execution, and that's where Johnny Sexton's evolved his game into. And you can you can absolutely see Owen playing on. And I'm sure we'll we'll come back to him um, as as the as the pod goes on, but. Yeah, he was um, he was outstanding on Sunday. I'm sure, I'm sure he, he can play till he's 35, 36. It seems weird, like you said, as a guy with 100 caps and he's underappreciated and underrated, I think. Well, we will m- maybe round off that we could have already teed up our God of the Week there. But before we crack on with everything else, let's just run through what we're going to go through on the podcast today. We're going to look back at the weekend in the Gallagher Premiership. England's Marley Packer joins us to preview La Crunch in the Women's Six Nations as England play France. Both teams looking to win a Grand Slam there. Jess Aiden has a roundup of all the other action in the women's game and we will name our God or Goddess of the Week. But first, let's get into a bit more of the Premiership. Right, so let's get on to the round 23 of the Premiership. We usually only have 22, but we've got more teams now, so we're on 23 and there's still more to go. But we did talk a bit about Owen Farrell to start with, but there's the wider thing of Saracen's just quietly, as he said after the game, going mm. under the radar a little bit, we're talking a lot about Leicester at the moment, but Saris are back in the playoffs. Since they beat, well, when they've been in the Premiership, they haven't missed one since they lost their first final in 2009 10. So, not a bad effort. And it's always felt inexorable that they're kind of always going to get there, hasn't it? What do we think about their performance and 
and how they're tracking. Are they are they going under the radar? Can you go under the radar, Saracens, Southers? Um, I don't. Well, they're not going under my radar because they're my local team, yeah. <laughs> the nearest team to me. Um, well, I think we're destined to get a Saris Leicester final, which would be an absolute humdinger. Um, it was interesting that they've they've kind of sort of rested and rotated as well. Leicester have, have done a lot of that as well. Um, although we are constantly told that they pick the team who's going to play the best on Saturday. I, <laughs> and then you look at the team sheet, it's totally different, but there you go. Um, Saris, they're not under the radar. I reckon they're going to win the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. I, think they're tr- I think they are trying to sort of stay a bit under the radar. This mm. is a, a real kind of in-media point, but they are they're the club that says the least. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're the hardest club to to line up an interview with. Um, uh, they, you know, like Ben I mean, Ben Earl did speak last week, and and he was he was fascinating on a lot of the work that's happening behind the scenes there, and that's helped him develop. And he was outstanding. We've talked a lot about him, Farrell. He was outstanding again on Sunday. Seventh try of the season as well. Seventh try of the season. Yeah, the conversation that I had with him last week was all about the fact he's also top of the tackle chart so mm, yeah. he's actually scored more tries this season than he did playing for Bristol okay, last season yeah. in the league when he was popping up off Semi Rendrandra mm. but um, but it's it's his tackling and his, and his defence that he's most proud of actually and he said I really feel that I think, he, I think that was the point that Eddie Jones kept making about to him about his game was was defence and he obviously he's playing in the same position as a Sam Underhill Tom Curry where tackle count is and, and mm. dominant tackles are are massive chop tackles, and, and I think he's really built on that. But it, the, the wider point, I think, I think they are trying to stay a bit quiet. Um, but their performances are um, you just you, you can't ignore them as they're building towards the end of the season. Mark McCall was was saying after the game, you know, Mark McCall very softly spoken, surrounded by loads of loads of fans, was just saying, you know, we've we've had to kind of find a way through to this point mm. using. 45, 46 players. Um, they've had, you know, they've had uh, Vunapola at 10, they've had Good at 10, they've had, you know, Lozowski playing this game on on Sunday against Exeter. You know, they didn't have Max Malians, they didn't have Itoji, um, they didn't have Mako, who's, who's obviously still out, um, didn't have Max Malians. But they, and, and they were rocked a bit in that second quarter, mm. but they just came out firing and overwhelmed Exeter. And I, I I just feel that they have they took a bit of time to adapt to come back you know they didn't really as we saw with England they didn't they kind of w- walk through the the championship season mm. they they're in, they've had to rebuild the squad to a degree um they got they've got positions where I don't think they have enormous strength but they're good enough scrum half I think you know they're yeah. good enough but it's, it's not a position of when you think back to Saracens in years gone by of Wigglesworth and, and De Kock and um, Spencer it's, it's not a position of enormous strength but it's good enough and they've, mm. they're sort of finding a way through but they, I think they feel they are starting to come to the boil and I think it was just fascinating for me that Farrell feels like he, now he's back starting to come to the boil as are Saracens um, and you'd think it'd be a Saracens Harlequins semi-final <sighs> in oh, North London you know, just be... how juicy is that yeah know? I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one guy who, um, if Saracens are flying under the radar, he seems to fly under the radar, but he's playing the rugby of his life is uh, Sean Maitland, who's been fantastic this season. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you, Theo McFarlane, who S- Steve Jones was referring to last week, um, 
outstanding. They're, they're six, just mm. dual international. Yeah, just everywhere. Brilliant. He was brilliant too. That. So I remember doing an, an early season interview when Saracens were back in the Prem with Jackson Ray and Nick Tompkins, and I sort of asked them a bit of a cheeky question of, "Do you reckon if you were in the league, Quinns would have won the title?" And they were they were polite, but they were like, <laughs> "Of course not." If they could say what they thought, they would have said, "Are you joking?" <laughs> <laughs> so that would be incredible, wouldn't it? Mm. Properly contrasting styles. There's so much beef going back a decade or so between those sides. Um, people yeah, in the coaching what, boxes who don't like each other either like that'd be really really tasty and what we were talking about before about Farrell and the way he can play I mean, and we will talk about this game a lot if it does end up happening which which we think it will He, they won't want to get drawn into a into a Harlequins style so like, that day will be absolutely vintage Saracens Farrell yeah. play you know, manage it close it down play physical just on another quick point, which I don't know, it was was made at the time, but I feel like is getting proved now, is that all those years where they were over the salary cap now look like totally unnecessary because they didn't need to have the stacked team because they're good enough with the compliant team. Yeah, but if you look, if you look at their there. bench, sometimes it's nothing like the bench they had, they would have had. But five they're still years second ago. in the but league. But they're still second in the league, yeah, yeah. for sure, and and largely better than most and teams. Like Alex said they they haven't the got um, depth in every position. Like I said, scrum half obviously is one. I still think they miss Brad Barrett a bit, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. but their academies has always been so good. And, and one of the one of the issues in that salary cap thing we know was was an embarrassment of riches that their academy had produced. Mm. Yeah, exactly. This generation of players, and and I remember being there with Mark McCall, saying, you know, they're all now England players, still on early contracts, and he's like, I don't don't know how we're going to keep hold of them all. And of course they did, and then we know how. Yeah, why? Yeah, we know how. But it was it's actually some of the other players that um, that they had in that in that setup that the Skeltons and the Liam Williams types probably didn't those need. Guys, yeah. I mean, yeah. we could do another podcast about getting penalised for producing England players. I think it's ridiculous. Mm. Ex- well, Exeter is suffering a bit. For well, it, that's though. what I was just going to say. Like yeah. a nice segue to that because Exeter have had an ex- this season has been an odd one for them. And actually, Rob Baxter was sort of slightly tongue in cheek saying, if if our crash and burn season is coming fourth or fifth, then yeah. a, lo- a lot of other clubs would take that. But it does, and Mark Evans has mentioned it a little bit on this podcast that they're on the cusp of a little rebuild, a mini rebuild, possibly with guys like Skinner leaving and Tomo Flaherty leaving and Johnny Hill leaving, and largely because they can't afford to keep them all on the same salaries. And if they get targeted by other teams, then they can't afford to keep them all. So, what do we think of Exeter? They they challenged them, but they ultimately were defeated and now it looks unlikely that they're going to make another final really doesn't it if if the playoffs at all so Rob back, they've got this they've got this week off so they'll sit and watch as they're all at Jack Knoll's wedding I think as we are recording they are yeah, today. <laughs> yeah so it's probably just as just as well they're not playing this weekend because I imagine that will not be a short affair <laughs> no. um, they so that, yeah they've got this week off so they'll sit and wait um, and then Rob Baxter is still confident that if they can win their last two They'll be in fourth. The last two are not the easiest. Bristol and then Harlequins. Mm. Um, I just I feel that they um, they were obviously the style of play was affected by the by the law change and, and the latch and 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 both the the end of the of the latch that you know you're now not allowed to pre bind effectively and also the goal line dropout mm. you know, that that had an impact on the on the way they played. Um, and it was also fascinating on Sunday that you know that Henry Slade ended up at, at fly half ahead of Joe Simmons, and and 
Rob's explanation was that it, they know that Joe Sims isn't playing as well as yeah as well as he has been as well as he can play, and and I actually thought Slade did really you know he's a he's a good I've seen him play ten mm. for England Saxons and and he's a he's a, an elegant wonderful. I hadn't played there for five years. I, I hadn't think played it was. there for yeah, mm. and, but he he was at the heart of everything he did well in that first that first half, particularly that, that second quarter. But it, it's just indicative of a of a club where things aren't quite connecting in the way that mm. that they want. You know, they're so used to you know Ewers and Armand um, uh, trucking it up and, and and making all the hits, and then and then um, Sam Simmons flying off the bat. Well, you know, neither of those three were playing. Yeah, yeah. Yes, they didn't have Harry Williams either. I mean, they, they were missing players too. Jack Noel. It was out obviously as as well. They just they are in a bit of a reset year, and the, the salary cap will start to to impact them. You know, as, as Baxter said to us the other week, um, for a piece in, in the paper, you know, he would never have imagined a Scotland international lock choosing to leave Exeter to go mm, back to Scotland mm. on salary alone. Yeah, but that's what's happening. Yeah, um, and so they're in a bit of a rebuild mode, and I. You know, I, 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 it's one of those things you, you never think, you never think you'd back against Exeter because of what they've done over the last period of time. Just struggle to see that they'll make it this time. Yeah, well, I, I reckon they might, they might nick fourth because um, a lot of the teams who are, who are going for fourth are, are playing each other or playing Queens and Saris. Yeah, um, well, let's run through that because so we've got the three who are in most likely position to take fourth. We've got Northampton um, who've got Quinns at home on Friday then Saracens away then they finish with Newcastle Exeter as we've said have got a bye week this week then they go to away to Bristol and then end at home to Quinns and then Gloucester playing Bath on this Saturday Quinns away and then Sarries at home so it's Quinns and Sarries the kingmakers yeah, of this yeah. little race for the top four it's going to be fascinating isn't it well We're- I reckon that result on Friday um, has done a lot of damage to Gloucester going down to Bristol because they got the, they could have had a real jump up the table last week. They got the five points for the Worcester cancellation, COVID yeah. or was it COVID cancellation? Um, they should have beaten <laughs> Bristol. I reckon they've shot themselves in the foot there. Yeah. So, so who do we think's in the in the driving? It's so hard to say, isn't it? With Exeter having played a game more and then having a bye week. I mean, as you mentioned, Rob Baxter was saying after the game on Sunday that he thinks that when they come back and play, they'll probably need to win two games. To get into the top four, who which horses are we backing? But it's going to be bonus points, I think, isn't it? Yeah, for me, like a, a number of wins, maybe even. even. Yeah, so even if you just look at the straight fixtures from now, you think you know if, if any of them can can stay tight within seven, get a losing bonus um, in one of the, the the tougher games, or or if Gloucester can um, put Bath to the sword, or if Saints can put Newcastle to the sword on the last day with a five point win, um, would you really fancy? Northampton's beat Quinns and Sarries in successive weeks. No, but then yeah. I wouldn't back Gloucester to beat Quinns and Sarries in successive weeks either. Yeah, that's why I think it's and, and and I would like, but would you back Exeter to beat? You know, over the far, if you look at the, the last four weekends, including the one that's just gone, yeah, all three of them have got to play Saracens and Exeter, Saracens and and Quinns. Sorry, mm. um, Exeter just lost to Saracens and they've got to play Quinns as well. So if you take it as a as a chunk they've all got to play those two teams so yeah. it's it's how can they do in the other games i think and what can can they sneak a, a losing bonus yeah. in one of those games while also you know extra you know, will need a five pointer against bristol you'd imagine mm. saints will need a five pointer against newcastle gloucester will need a five pointer against bath 
and then it could be about how they do can they scrape something in one of the other games so right. an added point and it was you did a big piece with Leicester on Saturday's paper Alex um, and they obviously changed their team because they're trying to now get into the yeah. European semi-final in a couple of weeks against Leinster as well as trying to win the league no one else has really got that scenario Saracens are in the Challenge Cup still but we'll rotate their team for that but now they're in the playoffs and Quinns is probably going to be the next team that are definitely qualified is there going to be a scenario possible on the last day where one of the, the stronger teams doesn't need to win whereas the team they're playing do and that affects the selection and possibly the result yeah potentially so yeah Leicester rested they rested a lot of players um, and they put on the bench of you know uh, Cole, Genge, Visa yeah, yeah. Um, and they've got because they've got they Quinns and then they've got a Premiership Cup game this week mm. uh, London Irish on Tuesday night then they've got Bristol and then they've got Leinster so they were just they were trying, they're having to manage resources I th- yeah, really so so that they compete for Leinster because they're already in the playoffs they probably need two wins out of the, the last four um, to secure a home yeah. semi-final which, which is all that matters do, yeah. you know, no, none of them care about finishing top because yeah. um, unlike in you know, the NRL there's no prize for finishing top mm. um, and actually sorry on that note statistically as well it, it's almost one of the worst places to finish is top historically and the best is second and third oddly mm. of, of teams that have finished there and won the, I think second's the most but only a couple of sides have finished fourth and won it, like Quinns last year. But finishing top, you hardly ever win it. Weirdly, but on 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 Leicester, if you go if you go to Quinns and you're in it, you know you're still in it after an hour with, you know, with I think two players making the first Premiership start for mm. the club. Ollie, Ollie Robinson was one of them, and you know you, you you bring on the you bring on some big guns towards the end. But you go to Quinns having made changes. And you make it, you're in it, and you lose it right at the death. Mm. I actually think that says a lot about about where Leicester are, and and maybe is an, an indication of of Quinns who were who were full bore. You know, Leicester if they can manage their resources and still you know leave there with a losing bonus, you think if they have to if they meet again when they're at full whack, yeah, um, it would be very different. While we're on Leicester, there was a bit of a weird incident in that game, wasn't there, Adam? Where Callum Green high tackled Joe Marler, but on review, Wayne Barnes saw that um, Alex Dombrat had pushed Marler into the tackle, so reversed the decision. Can you just talk us through what happened there? What what was going on that? Well, it was a bit funny. Having stood in front of us at our lunch on Thursday, Wayne Barnes and said the only time he wanted to see his name in the papers was at the bottom of a match report. Um, he was straight in the papers. Um, <laughs> I thought it. I thought it was fair enough. He did. I had the ref mic on and he explained it quite well. Um, I think was it wasn't it similar to the Jack Knoll thing in Paris where mm. one of the French pushed him into a, a what looked like a bad high tackle um and England, the air, didn't and England he, yeah. got a penalty. I think uh, at the time I thought here we go um someone's getting a red card here. Yeah, another one. Yeah. Um but after he'd explained it once I'd seen it again I, I thought it was fair enough. So yeah, what what happened was um Joe Marler had the ball and was carrying it into contact. On first viewing, it looked like Callum Green had hit him in the face with a shoulder, which he did. But the sort of mitigating factor was Alex Dombrunt was behind Marler and shoved him in the back, which Wayne Barnes views basically forced Callum Green into making a tackle yeah. he wasn't going to make originally. So that was why that happened. And what, what was the explanation that, that he gave, Adam? Was it about being reckless? Because or, or, I'm, I'm trying to work out why it's not legal to push your own teammate to give him momentum when... If you 
if if he'd bound onto him and driven him from behind, that's legal. Yeah, that is slightly different to no one. I think I got that wrong because he uh, he was pushed by a French player, wasn't he? Noel. Um, yeah, yeah but, but it's the same again, idea yeah. of yeah, it, yeah. It, it changes the, the picture of what's being seen. But well, Wayne, Wayne's explanation was just was exactly that that Don Brennan had pushed uh, Marler into which had, Marler into Green, which had forced Green to be high on him. I got to yeah. say, I think Green's lucky because yeah. the penalty got reversed on the basis that. Don Brandt's actions were reckless yeah. and mm. had given Green no time to react. I mean, I he don't was think, always high. I don't he? think Green's going to react in that time anyway. Yeah, and we spoke about it last week. We've spoken about it all season. I don't understand why it's taking so long. Yeah, for, yeah. I, there are a lot of dynamic situations that happen, and we've, we 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 understand that. And Charlie, you just spoke to you about that with mm. earlier the season after the England game and the England red card he got. But Sam Bedlow. That was like, a crazy one. Friday night. On Friday night, like, yeah. he's always high. And and yeah. what sticks in my mind from the Charlie Yule's one for England against Ireland was the referee said, "You have taken the risk of of this happening by going in like that." Yeah. And and the, at the moment, we're still in a situation where players seem happy to take that risk, yeah. and I don't quite I don't quite get it because you know I think Callum Green got lucky because I don't see him in any way looking like he's about to drop his height mm. to make a chest high tackle he's he's there to soak up Marlow yeah. and try and get get over him on the ball the Bedlow one I don't I mean I ha- we haven't spoken to him so we don't know but to me it just looked like he was he was so pumped up because about a minute before that he'd made an unbelievable carry where he'd bowled over about four blokes thrown an out the back offload to Dan Thomas who put Toby Frick away for a try and it was almost like the next action he has is smashing someone in the face and you just think that he's, I don't know, he's high on adrenaline or something. But that was just a crazy tackle. He was never, ever going to get the guy lower than the chin. But also, it's a week after his teammate got sent off yeah. for um, you know, not not exactly the same thing. But it's just, uh, you know, we, we have all the conversation and, and you, you referees get criticised for red cards. And it's like, don't do everything you can to not be in that position. and. Mm. Then, um, but uh, it was it was a really interesting moment, and it would be it would be fascinating to sit down with Wayne to actually talk it through because he is one of the he's one of the best at explaining these situations, yeah. and and it caught me a little by surprise that that trying to give a teammate a shove to get him over the line or, or to, to get him over the gain line could actually be an, an offence, um, and I guess it's the the sharpness of acceleration that it, it would have given to Marlon, which would probably mm. be more than if he'd latched onto him from behind and tried to shove him forward um, but mind you I also thought that watching Tyson Fury on Saturday <laughs> night when he, he landed the mm. uppercut and it was then like this like he shoved him over two hands I was like I'm pretty not, not sure you're, you're not allowed sure to do that, that. <laughs> yeah. well, well Pat Lamb on after the game on Friday on that Bedlow thing which was absolutely stone cold red wasn't it um, he didn't have any complaints but he seemed to think that there weren't enough reds being given weren't enough yeah, there was records so we, in the Champions yeah, so we, could have a, we could have a flurry of them if uh, Pat gets his way. Well, <laughs> something's got to get the message through. Yeah, exactly. It? Yeah, well, there we go. So we don't need to cover off every single game, but just a little note on an extraordinary collapse from Bath against Northampton, where they were 31-12 up with about 58 minutes gone and ended up losing 36-31. Alex Mitchell pulling the strings really nicely there. But you can't be doing that, can you? 19 points up? 
that's not great, is it? Well, in, in the week, Chris Boyd said if they lost that game, that was their season done. Mm. And they were absolutely done, weren't they? Yeah. So just to round that off then about the Prem, we talk about the running. I'm going to ask you both to nail your colours to the mast, then we will clip this up and play it back to you <laughs> when you've got it wrong. I'll just, on, on Bath, before yeah. you, you put us on the hotspot, um, <laughs> A. Griffiths has gone in there as, as chairman, and they they strike me as a club like Leicester have been where they need an absolute bottoming cultural out. Yeah. bottoming out yeah. like you don't lose games like that unless things are things are wrong um and you know it's they've got the they've, it's a rugby city and and Leicester used the opportunity that they had you know they they were in a spiral for going on a decade downward spiral mm. covid um did not help anyone but it gave them a chance to make some really tough painful difficult decisions um and it was it was absolutely what that club needed and it feels like to me bath have lurched from bad decision to bad decision you know bruce craig had so much authority there that the you know, Matson's now leading harlequins yeah he yeah. was at the recreation ground and mm. left and the word is that he didn't like the kind of the way that that club was was being managed and that that players were being signed that, that hadn't necessarily been signed off by coaches, um, it, it's lurched from one crisis to another. And actually, they need the same. They need a a bottoming out. Um, it'd be fascinating to see what Ed Griffiths does there because he, the culture that exists at Saracens, um, was was you know he was the architect of a lot of that a lot of the all the trips and things yeah, like that yeah and and just the looking after players and building a crash within the the training ground all the small details that made it a place that guys wanted to go and work and not leave um was was the you know the heartbeat of what what has made that club mm. what it is they are trying aren't they because a couple of weeks ago a few of the young players played a premiership rugby cup game on yeah. a tuesday night like Gabe Hamer Webb and those guys and then they went on a bus trip all the way from Bath to Poland via five or six different countries to give um, aid and help to for the Ukraine crisis. I mean, yeah. it was, it's those little tiny yeah. things like yeah. that, just building relationships. And I, I, and I think they've been on a on a boozy trip as well. Like a team, yeah. built, you know, not that it showed. Maybe it did show. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it did show. But I just think that they are they're a club who, who need a, a massive cultural overhaul well there is talk of them moving out of Farley House though. we've all been there it's like a country mm. club and I'm sure mm. Ed Griffiths' heart would have sank when he saw that place which is I mean, back in the day when Wasps were winning European Cups they were actually proud that they trained in such a dump yeah, <laughs> but, and I'm not sure like England won the World Cup training at Penny Hill Park yeah. like that's that's not um, spit and sawdust well, like, you, yeah, it doesn't true. just because just your facilities are good doesn't mean mm. that you don't work hard but if, if you if if there's a feeling that really good comfortable facilities are are leading to the club not work the players not working hard yeah. enough or not play then that points back to this cultural issue. Mm. So m- maybe as a, a as a way of addressing that, that's what Ed Griffiths is looking at. But if having a really good training ground is a reason for playing poor rugby, yeah. then you've got a big issue. I think. I remember <laughs> talking to Sam Underhill about that exact point of is Farley House a bit too comfortable. And he said something on the lines of like, well, if you like grade two listed buildings, then it's great. But I don't think it has any effect <laughs> yeah. on the team. But we'll see. I mean, yeah, we'll see what happens on that front and with Bath in general. I mean, we should note at this point, too, that there was a little bit of news at the end of last week, following on from a couple of weeks ago when we chatted to Ben Ward from Ealing, 
Trailfinders about their bid for promotion. They've now withdrawn their promotion um, appeal against the decision not to let them up. So they will not be coming up into the Premiership. We'll have 13 next season again and all the glory of bye weeks yep. and all that. And then and the last one, I think I should note too, that in the league below that, a lovely story that Caldy won National 1, fully amateur club in the Wirral of Merseyside. And there were some amazing videos of... I think they were just basically live broadcasting their court session in the in the <laughs> yeah. bar. So they're fully amateur, but they're in the championship with the likes of Ealing next season. So well played to them. Right, so I promised you both to put you on the spot for the top oh, four. I thought who we distracted you... you long enough. Yeah. <laughs> so who are you nailing your colours to the mast then for? Northampton, Exeter, Gloucester. Let's assume that Quinns are going to get through and finish in one of the four positions. Well, Adam, Alex, Alex is... Sort of swaying, swaying me away, but when he says that it could be decided on a lo- who nicks a couple of losing bonus points, but I am still going to stick with Exeter to come forth. Okay, Alex. Yeah, I, I think I think as a team most likely to to, to nick a, a losing bonus, Exeter are probably them. It feels it feels um, bold to back Northampton because they've been so hot and cold. This season and and um and, I mean just looking at the table here, Exeter have only won. They've lost ten out of twenty two. Amazing. But you know they go into this mini period now with a with a one point um, advantage over the others. Northampton. Just wonder whether that one point advantage with Newcastle on the last day mm. gives them a gives them an opportunity to nail that that fourth spot. Um, I think them knowing what they have to do, like watching everyone. This weekend coming up with a bye, then having ten days off yeah. as they're giving as Rob Baxter's giving them, and then two to to know exactly what they need to do. It reminds me of a season about seven or eight years ago where Quins were nowhere, and they knew they had two games at home, I think, to end the season, and knew they had to bonus point win both of them, and they managed it. You think possibly is that the scenario for Exeter this time? They know exactly what they need to do. But it would be it would be fun, wouldn't it, if we had two derbies in the playoffs of Leicester Northampton, and then yeah. I guess that last weekend um, which is in the four, is the 4th of June long time so, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, a lot, it's a long time away yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of European rugby mm. to be played we're sort of assuming here that that Quinns and Saracens will go will go full full bore at those games but they might not need to yeah, and that might then have an impact on on us. So you can imagine Northampton playing Newcastle on the last day, thinking that a win would be enough, and then and then Quinns or or Saracens decide to um, decide to rest a few players, <laughs> and it not going down too well at Franklin's Gardens. But on the basis that everyone goes full whack, I'll just uh, I'll say Northampton with, but not with enormous confidence, right. because okay. it feels so weird to to back against. Um, Exeter yeah yeah. well we'll see how it all washes up we've got another round of Prem bit of Europe then we're back into it and we'll still be here come the 18th of June when the final is then there's a summer tour there's lots of rucking still left to go but next we'll turn our eyes towards the big game in the Women's Six Nations coming up on Saturday Grand Slam is on the line as France hosts England and England's Marley Packer who's player of the match in the Ireland game is up with us next Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You guys are flying over to France right now, aren't you? So that's a, that's a long week of prep. Is that sort of with World Cup stuff in mind and all that? Uh, yeah, I think so. And just making sure that like we get all our preparation right. So we've obviously got quite a long travel day today because um, we come from Leicester, got the bus down to Heathrow, which we're at now. And then um, we've got a couple of hours here before the last flight. So I just think then we get the recovery right over in France, making sure we're hitting the right sessions, um, and, yeah, ready to go on Saturday. Perfect. So take us back then to, to Sunday. Um, how was that? I mean, record crowd for a women's game in England, wasn't it? That must have been pretty special. Yeah. And a lo- an amazing day for Emily Scarrett as well. Oh, yeah. Um, so, like, the crowd just keeps getting better and better. We had a record crowd at Gloucester. And then to go up to um, Leicester and then get another record crowd is just phenomenal. And what a place to do it in Leicester where Emily Scarrett comes from to get a hundred cup. This, it was a dream birthday really. Yeah. Just, we've talked about her on this podcast a bit and she's an amazing ambassador for the women's game and to reach that hundred and she's even missed a year or so of games, hasn't she? So she could be well ahead of that if she hadn't. Yeah, definitely. But then also she's been in the seven setup as well. She's been to the Olympics. uh, She's been to uh, sevens world cup. So, there's not much she hasn't done but obviously the the accolade of getting 100 cuts she thoroughly deserves it she's not just an incredible player but she's an incredible person and friend so yeah I'm super proud to be able to be on the pitch with her while she was getting 100 caps yeah she got a nice little gold cap as well that's quite cool isn't it yeah, yeah, no, really cool. So um, previous players also had that. And then also, like, you get this, uh, like, little trophy. Mm. So you get one on your 50th, which is, like, a silver one, and you get engraved. And then, obviously, 100 cap, you get a gold one. So, yeah, it's just really nice. Like, it's a fitting, fitting thing for them. Like, it's such an amazing achievement to, to be able to keep going and keep your body in the right place to be at the top of the level for so long like she has yeah absolutely so how are the bodies after that because it's quite a physically intense game wasn't it at least for the first half i mean there's a few sore bodies on that flight over this afternoon yeah definitely myself included but i think like it's a game of rugby you know it's going to be a a physical one so um it's just making sure we get the right um, recovery in uh, and making sure that we're looking after ourselves really yeah, so Sarah Hunter had a little bit of a rib injury and Poppy Clear was on crutches. How are they both? Are they doing all right? Yeah, yeah, they're both in good spirits. So um, I just think we'll just see how the week goes. But yeah, no, they seem to be both in really good place. Yeah, nice. So talk to us a bit about this tournament as a whole then. I mean, Simon Middleton, the coach, has been changing the team a little bit each week but and building up and winning games. We've only conceded 10 points and, and now it's a massive one uh, over in France, both chasing a Grand Slam. How's it been going through this whole tournament, probably knowing that the final game is absolutely going to be the one? Um, I, I think it's for, for us, like taking each game as it comes, it sounds like quite cliche, but um, we need to make sure we put out a performance. And obviously with the different personnel change a lot and um, mid 
seeing different teams. We needed to make sure that actually we, we galvanised together and put on a performance. I think we obviously knew France was going to be the big game at the end of the tournament. So I think we've looked at the games to be a little bit more like a World Cup setup. Mm. Um, and like on Sunday was our semi-final and this is our final coming into it this week with a, with a six-day turnaround. So it's about making sure that the bodies recover well, we get things right this week and then go from there. Um, like France are in our pool at the World Cup so um, I think this is like we obviously play them quite a lot but this is like uh, one of those things that I doubt we'll get to play them again now until the World Cup so we need to make sure we do a job on them Marley hi it's, it's Alex here I, just with, with the World Cup in mind you, you've beaten France nine times in a row you are playing them in the pool but also certainly looking in from the outside it, it, we've all been expecting this to be the, the, the Six Nations decider how, how much in your in your team's mentality, has it been like key to to keep setting the standards for everyone else in the world? You know, you've, you've beaten France, you, you beat you beat the Black Ferns um, last time they came over. You know, you're sort of you've got a world title to to try and win later this year. But yeah. in terms of the the standards that you you yourselves are trying to set, how much of it is there a motivation that you're trying to do it to set the global standards? Um, I think the motivation comes from within. Like, we're driving our standards all the time, which then drives, um, I guess, the global standards. But um, I just think we keep looking at ourselves being the best version of us in how we want to play in our game plan. Um, I think with the World Cup coming up, in, obviously we had a great all international against New Zealand, but you look at that New Zealand squad that has been named since then, there's a, there's a lot of different players, different faces that um, obviously have been on the seven circuit or have had some time out. Then also France, you say we beat them nine times in a row, but actually the last few times we've played them, the games have been quite tight. We played them mm. um, uh, last autumn, I think it was, well, not this autumn, but autumn's before down at Exeter. In I think it was the last play of the game we got to try to win the match. So yeah, I remember the game at Twickenham like... too was, was a real tight one. Yeah, so like, like even though we have beat them, it's not like they're runaway games. It is a, it is a really physical encounter, and it literally is a full eighty minutes of a, a real physical game, and, and very like smart rugby being played in it as well. It's not just all up front. The technical side, um, you got decade player of the year in the French squad. Um, obviously, we got the likes of Emily Scarra and the rest of our backline, but it. It's a really, yeah, it's just a really physical and um, yeah, proper game of rugby that I love to be involved in. <laughs> uh, hi, hi, Miley, it's Adam here. Hi, Adam. How are you doing? Um, just talking of the, of the Black Ferns, what, I just wondered what you made of the way they've changed their coaching structure. They brought Wayne Smith in and Mike Crone and people like that. Um, I think, um, to be fair, I, I haven't got really too much of an opinion on it. Like, I concentrate on what we're doing more so. Like, I think it, it's good for them but if, if that's what they think they needed. Like, obviously, they came over to here. I think the last time they... I don't think they've ever been beaten the way we beat them in Autumn International. So, obviously, something needed to change for them. Right. But um, whether... That, that was the coaching staff, like player personnel or whatever, but they, they needed to do something to make sure they put themselves in the best stead because they've got a home World Cup and they need to make sure that they, they put on a world-class performance in that World Cup. You're heading over to France now to, to, play, to play the French in, in Bayonne and, and they, I guess, traditionally, we, we talked to, to yourself and other, other players, love going over to play in France because of the atmosphere that, yeah. get, that, that gets generated. Do you think 
in England we're we're catching up now. Will mentioned the the record crowds you've had. I mean, it, it's it, it always looks like such a a bear pit to go and play over there. Are you creating the, 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 that sort of same fervour yeah, for home I, games? I think so. Like, if you look at our two home games, like, we've had record crowds of, like, 15,000. Like, I'm not being funny. I can remember Emily Scarrett's first cat, where it was at Isha, and we probably had <laughs> all our family and friends that we didn't need to worry about tickets for, and and a couple of people with their dogs. So <laughs> how the game's grown since then is phenomenal. But France have led the way with the crowds. Um, they give us some odd kickoff times sometimes, but like, they get the crowds in, um, and you never know what you're going to get. Uh, last time we I played over in France, um, there was a brass band going start of the game all the way through the game right until the end until we actually managed to join the band after the game so um (laughs) they always put like it's always a massive occasion for them and they really get behind their team but then also they can also change their mood against their team sometimes Mm. but like that that that, those kind of games when you get the crowd behind you um the games you want to be involved in and like it's probably cliche but it's like that extra 16th man and that's what the crowds have been like um this six nations and not just our home games when we played scotland away like that was a phenomenal crowd as well. Obviously, I want a part of the Italy away game, but like people are really recognising women's rugby and wanting to come and watch. And they flick it on BBC Two sometimes, and then they're hooked and they can't wait to watch more and more of it. So yeah, and to be a part of that is yeah, I love being a part of that. Well, one last thought before we let you go, Marley. Thanks so much for all your time. And no worries at if, all. If you are to win back-to-back Grand Slams, how how special would that be? Just to sign it off and then pushing towards greater things at the World Cup as well? I think for me, like, it means everything. Like, every game I play in now it means everything because, obviously, you never know when your last game is and not that you ever think about that, really, but you, like, I just want to keep playing at my best and to get another back-to-back Grand Slam would just not just be great from, like, myself and the team, but what it does for, for the women's game. And, um, yeah, that's massive. But then also going on to... To the World Cup when we won the World Cup in 2014 we actually lost um, that Six Nations to mm. France at Grenoble mm. so it'd be nice if we could get the Grand Slam win and, and go do a job at the World Cup and then I can say in the same year I've won a Six Nations and a World Cup but hey, we're not, I'm not looking too far ahead got a job <laughs> to do on Sunday on Saturday first oh, Amazing Marley well all power to you guys and safe trip over to Bayonne and, and best of luck for the weekend I think you've been fine ambassadors for the sport for the whole time you've been playing so keep it all going thanks very much for your time thank you very much thanks guys take care now well fantastic there to hear from Marley Packer who was the player of the match in that 69-0 victory over the Irish on Sunday their French game in Bayonne on Saturday both teams going for a Grand Slam could be an absolute epic more on the women's game we've now got Jess Hayden and after that we'll get on to our God or Goddess of the Week Italy secured their first win of this year's tournament with a 2013 win against Scotland, who remained winless at the bottom of the Women's Six Nations table. Despite leading 10-3 at half-time, Scotland slipped away in the second half as Italy's Melissa Batoni led her side's revival. The match was not won for the ages, with 23 penalties conceded and heavy rainfall contributing to the high number of errors. In Cardiff, France's five-try flurry secured France's place in the Grand Slam decider against England this weekend. Wales crumbled against the tough opposition and particularly struggled with poor decision-making and kicking. The French scrum half, Laure Sanseuse, was the standout performer of the match, carving through the Welsh defence and dotting over for two tries herself. 
With ball in hand, Wales was stagnant and unforced errors cost them much of their momentum. A late consolation try came from super sub Sean Ed Harries to stop Wales leaving empty-handed, but France were no chiselled machine either, clocking up 30 handling errors in this match. The final score of 33-5 was the second big loss in a row for Wales, who lost 58-5 to England the week before. But there's still the all-important final round to be had this weekend. If Wales beat Italy, they will finish third, their highest Six Nations position since 2009, which was when they finished second. Scotland need a win against Ireland to avoid bottom place, where they also finish in 2019. And at the top of the table is the game we have all been waiting for, England versus France. So the fixtures for round five of the Women's Six Nations are all on Saturday and they are Wales versus Italy at 12pm which is available on S4C, France versus England at 2.15pm which you can watch on BBC Two and finally Ireland versus Scotland at 8pm on BBC Scotland. Brilliant, thanks Jess. That was a strong round-up there of the, all the action in the women's game. Now to finish off, lads, God, Goddess... Devil, maybe? I don't think we're doing Devils this week, are we? Where are we going? Alex, should we start with you? Not this week. Yeah, um, I'll start. I'll start. Back on Thursday um, of last week was the the Rugby Writers' 60th anniversary lunch. Two years late because of COVID, but we we did it. And the Rugby Writers' Club is a sort of an... It's not a union. It's an unusual... it's It's a collective of all of us who work in the rugby media, um, who who are rivals professionally, but because we spend so long on the road, so long on tours, you build up a, a real friendship with with people from from other other newspapers, broadcasters, photographers. It's called the Rugby Writers. It's now really a, the rugby media, and we had a just a wonderful day um, in London with, with with some special guests who who've won our awards. Down the years, Will went out to um, to hand this year's award over to Antoine Dupont, who uh, we had to cancel the, the dinner for obvious reasons. But we've managed to get we managed to get the lunch on. And and my, anyway, my, my god of the week will go to Duncan Beck, who is the chairman of the Rugby Writers. It's a role that I've done. It's not it's not easy, and to to arrange a dinner or a lunch in this case with Sir Gareth Edwards. Um, uh, Jill Burns, uh, Lawrence Delalio w- was there. Um, we had Sean Edwards turn up, and, and th- we had um, some great speakers. Wayne Barnes received a special award and and, and spoke brilliantly on stage. Um, and it was just a great time to catch up with with for me people I who, who were writing when I came through, who I admired then and admire now. Guys like Chris Hewitt and Steve Bale. Um, and and Di Llewellyn, who um, pulled me to one side and had just had some lovely things to say, and it, it's it was a real special occasion to reflect on 60, 62 years now of of this um, sort of body that is designed to try and further the interests of of rugby and rugby media, but also look to look ahead. Sarah Mockford was there as she was our first female chair chairman. She was quite happy to be called chairman. Um, it, it was it was lovely. We were looking at lots of reflections, but also it showed a lot of change in um, in in the, the industry of the rugby media. Um, I think it showed how progressive it's becoming, um, and uh, it was just a wonderful day. And Duncan Beck did a great job as as the chairman. So um, roll on, 
the 70th anniversary <laughs> when it might be your job, Will. Yeah, blimey. I'm here in, with two former chairmen, actually. Adam, you did it in 2012-ish, something like that? 2012 to 2014, yeah. Chris Robshaw and Lee Halfpenny were my Pat Marshall winners. Yeah, OK, perfect. So, yeah, I know it was a great great afternoon and then became an evening and we've got no idea why Eddie Jones calls us a lunch club I mean I just don't understand no. that it's very strange isn't it but um, no just on a quick note on that the pair of trainers that Lawrence Delalio wore with a nice blue suit were extraordinary I, nice did, I did tell him sparkling. he looked like Rafa Nadal when he came in <laughs> and Sean Edwards also had a nice little pair I think it's a French thing isn't it of this bit mm. like Gus Pichet did when he was World Rugby it was like smart but casual yeah. right Adam well, just just firstly, Duncan, who is a great mate of ours, um, we call him the COVID chairman. He's had two; he hasn't had to organise two dinners because they've been called off. But he did do a very good job. It was a great afternoon. Um, not such a great afternoon was um, Saturday at Harlequins, where halfway through the first half, I had the blue screen of death on my laptop, um, which is a complete nightmare. Now, in the glory days, you'd run out of the ground to find a call box and call a copy taker on a free phone number. Only one person in Fleet Street does that now. It files the copy, which is Stephen Jones of this parish, which meant he didn't have he didn't have to use his laptop, which he lent lent it to me so I could finish my work off. Otherwise, um, well, you'd just be looking at a blank blank sheet of paper in the, the Sunday papers. So, Stephen Jones is my God of the Week for lending me his laptop. Extraordinary! I have two journalists nominated. That's after everything you said in this pod about Owen Farrell. He didn't even get a mention in your, <laughs> your of the week. I can't believe it. Well, honourable mention to the returning Owen Farrell back to form, but I feel like it's it'd be nice to round off with a nomination for a goddess. Um, Emily Scarrett won her 100th cap in her hometown. She got farm round the corner. They're at Welford Road at Leicester. They gave her a nice gold cap. She's the eighth centurion, sixth woman to reach the 100. And they also get like a little extra gold little plaque thing as well, which yep. was nice. But... What an amazing player. She's an, a former winner of the Pat Marshall as well. She, she is. In fact, I. Um, it was my first year as chairman. Mm. There was a tie in okay. the voting as to who was going to win our Pat Marshall Award. The Pat Marshall Award is is the rugby p- personality of the year. It can be coach or player. Or There was a tie, and I had the, the, the chairman's vote oh. and, uh, and voted for Emily Scarrett to win it. There you go. I've forgotten who came, came second. Johnny Wilkinson. Did right, he? okay. Yeah. To oust Johnny, yeah. who that would have been his second. Jo- yeah, Johnny was given the, the special award that year anyway. Sure, for Toulon and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, no, and I, yeah, so I had the, the pleasure of of awarding the casting vote and then presenting her with the award, although we did have to wait because when Alikin, who was doing the uh, the MC and gave, her the, the, gave it all the big build-up, announced Emily Scarrett's name and she was nowhere to be seen. Like, <laughs> yeah, someone had to rush off to the ladies to go and oh, find no. her. <laughs> Funny. Well, look, she's been a god, a, a goddess sorry, of many weeks before, but particularly this week, well played to Emily Scarrett and probably another 100 caps to come probably and then maybe another World Cup to win in September. But there's our gods and goddesses of the week. And you've been listening to The Ruck from The, the Times and The Sunday Times. We'll be definitely back here next week and every week throughout the season bringing the latest discussion insight so follow subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts from thanks for listening 